Welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Yuri Zabu Yamashita. This first season, we are showcasing stories of resilience, in line with the WTO's public forum theme. Small businesses that leverage trade to pivot from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. One trend that we have all seen since the pandemic started was the rise of online services. From classes, medical appointments, tutorials, even dance lessons, you name it. What could be moved online soon found a place in a screen near us. How does that relate to trade? How did service providers take advantage of this shift and got new customers abroad? I spoke to someone whose story helps to connect all these dots. So let's talk trade. Today, Resilient Stories, a silver lining for Dot and Line. My name is Mahin Adamji. I'm the CEO of Dot and Line Learning. It's an education technology company. Dot and Line prepares students for the future through personalized learning experiences. I'm based in Karachi, in Pakistan. That's where our head office is. Um, we're now in over 12 countries across the globe. Basically, what we do is we have proprietary learning programs that are taught by trained, certified and vetted tutors online to students across the globe. So what subjects do you teach? Currently, we have English as a language. We have coding. We have math. Um, we have Urdu. Those are our core subjects. And then we have a myriad of other subjects. What was life like before the pandemic? Dot and line. Um, at, at, right before the pandemic, had scalable asset light um, learning centers across Pakistan. We had 150 learning centers that were operational. Women from around Pakistan who wanted to work and who were qualified and educated would apply to become franchise partners. If selected, um, they would go through our teacher training um, modules. And once they completed those, they were able to set up a learning center in the comfort of their home. And we would then match them to students within a one to two mile proximity of their home. And when the pandemic hit, what happened to all these centers? So in Pakistan, less... Over 85% of highly educated women don't work. And because they were able to work from the comfort of their home through Darden Line, shutting ourselves down would mean that they would also lose um, their uh, livelihoods and their form of earning. So we decided to take uh, at that point what felt like a very bold step. But we took not a very ad hoc measure, but rather a long-term view of the situation and decided to transition to complete online learning. Uh, in Pakistan, this wasn't something that people were very familiar with, um, but we decided to, you know, dive straight in and take at least, uh, you know, re-kind of purpose all of our systems um, towards online learning. And that's what we ended up doing. So within a matter of weeks, we retrained 150 online uh, well teachers to go online and deliver online lessons. We redid our entire system, so our online matching system, matching students and teachers not on the basis, basis of proximity, but rather on other measurements. And how did this network of tutors, how did they respond? How did they adapt to these changes? 
some of these women are middle-aged and above middle-aged and they've been school teachers, but they haven't ever experienced the online space. Um, so they really took time. They sat in their off hours at night and learned the technology. They learned the new systems. It really changed the game for teachers um, and women in Pakistan. Suddenly we saw them being able to connect anywhere. They weren't bound by proximity. So it did really change the game and we've only improved from there on. Um, the learning curve is still fairly steep. We've only been uh, a year and a half into the pandemic. We're still improving upon our systems and building on them. But um, the response of the teachers has been incredible and so has the response from the parents. And what obstacles have you faced? I mean, we often hear connectivity is an issue in many places, especially in the developing world. In Pakistan, that's absolutely a hurdle. Um, bandwidth and not just the internet, but remembering that they are small spaces. So for you to have a quiet space to deliver your classroom from within a home where your husband or your children or other family members may be present, um, you know, is, uh, is difficult to say the least. But slowly they carved out. So, you know, some of the teachers who are having trouble with internet or bandwidth, got dedicated devices to be able to plug in at home uh, for their classes. Um, parents also learned more about connectivities. But overall, just in terms of internet connectivity, Pakistan grows manifold in terms of access to internet year upon year. So it is a growing, fairly rapidly growing space, um, which presents a lot of opportunities for a lot of businesses. And which kind of opportunities are you talking about? Dot and Nine did not have uh, immediate international expansion or we weren't eyeing international expansion at the start. We were just trying to get our systems together. But very organically, because the classes are of such high quality and the tutors are of the learning experience is very high quality. Very organically, we had through a referral network, we had parents tell relatives and family members outside of Pakistan's borders. So suddenly we had Saudi, Dubai, the UAE, London, uh, the US, Canada open up to us. So I think not only was this uh, a great opportunity for the company, but, you know, I touched upon earlier where our teachers, um, you know, it's incredible for a teacher sitting in Karachi to be able to teach somebody in Canada or in London. Um, so that kind of exposure was exceptional for our tutors. So currently about 30% of our student base is international. I think the opportunities in Pakistan, I have to say, you know, we speak about the international market, but for women here, mobility is a very, very big problem. Um, where you where women don't really have access to public transport that public transport is not organized for them to even move from one location to the next uh, bypassing cultural barriers being able to get on a bus or use any kind of public transport is very difficult uh, so for them to gain this access through digital uh, means or through technology and from the comfort of their homes to really grow their little, uh, and we call them micro entrepreneurs. So for them to be able to grow their little businesses into thriving centers uh, really has been a game changer. What a shift. I'm just curious to hear about this experience with trade. Trade, I know for you means 
you know, products being bought and sold. But for us in the service industry, it's really the transference of ideas and classes, right? So you reach your question, what does trade mean to dot in line? Trade to dot in line is the transference of ideas. So we believe that every child has unlimited potential. And for them to realize their full potential, all they need is access to the right resources, to cutting edge teaching techniques and to a teacher who believes in them. So for us, really, it's the idea of connecting teachers who have uh, the talent, the training to unleash that potential with students from across the globe. And that's what trade means to us. Do you have any examples of this potential unleashed uh, that you could share with us, perhaps? So on the teachers and on the women's side, um, today over 400 women earn uh, salaries through Dot and Line from the comfort of their homes, setting their own hours. And really those stories span a breadth of um, demographic breadth and also an age breadth. So you have the young university students who need a flexible work opportunity to be able to get through colleges. Um, we've had mothers write in to us where having young children meant they couldn't enter the workforce because there were no flexible opportunities available for them. And they've said that, you know, they, there is one aspect to them that that is a mother and that is a wife and that is somebody, you know, who maybe who's a homemaker. But Dora Nine has presented them with something that they can call is theirs, you know, some a purpose, a meaning to their lives. And on the student side, uh, we've had beautiful testimonials come in from really across the globe. You know, this little boy wrote in to us, his mother said that, you know, suddenly he's the first one shooting his hand up because Dot Nine has given him confidence. I think that's really what keeps Lena and I going, right? When you wake up and you hear from the people who are using our service, who are connecting with our tutors, who reach out to us every day, it just keeps us going. Thank you, Mahin. Mahin's story helps to illustrate one of the most mystical concepts in trade, trade in services. And you heard it from Mahin herself. Trade is often thought of as the exchange of goods, but it also means a number of other activities and exchanges. To shed some light in this, I reached out to a person at the WTO who knows her way in this world. My name is Antonia Carzaniga. I am Italian and I'm a counselor in the Trading Services and Investment Division at the WTO Secretariat. And what's the easiest way to explain what trading services is? Yes, of course. Trading services is, you know, always sounds like a bit obscure. It's a concept that is not immediately familiar because people, when they think of trade, they generally think of physical objects that they can feel, that they can touch, and that these objects are crossing borders. When it comes to services, you cannot really touch them. Um, and therefore, because of this intangible nature, you often also require the presence simultaneously of the producer and the consumer in the same place in order for the service to be provided. You know, the example we frequently give is the example of a hairdresser. You know, unless you're present in the um, hair salon, you're not going to get your haircut. It's not like a haircut can be stored and then you know, shipped overseas. So um, when it came to defining what trading services is, there was a need to move beyond just this traditional notion of crossing borders with the producer being in one place and 
the consumer being in a different one. For instance, the consumer moves, like with international tourism, when you travel abroad and you consume hotel services or restaurant services there. And then you have instances where instead it's the producer who moves to the territory of the consumer, either by setting up a business to serve the local market, for instance, um, a foreign supermarket opening up a chain locally, or they move temporarily as business persons in order to be able to supply um, again, their services to local consumers. And I'm assuming this is very significant economically, no? Now, when it comes to how significant trading services is, well, in short, it is very significant. So between 2005 and 2017, they grew at 5.4% uh, per year on average. And this compares to 4.6% growth in goods trade over the same period. Of course, these all figures sort of pre-COVID. And then what happened when the pandemic hit? Do we know anything, how these figures developed or not? So unlike goods, services cannot be stored in many instances, which means that despite some repressed demand, many of those foreign holidays that you didn't take, those restaurants and uh, that you didn't visit while you were abroad, um, are likely to be services which are lost forever. In the context of the pandemic, the group of countries that have suffered most have been least developed countries. However, it is also true to say that not all services have suffered in exactly the same way, not all services sectors. So the crisis has um, resulted in a greater focus on the online supply of, of services, such as educational services, as the story from Mahin illustrates, but also health, telecom, or audiovisual services. And this is something Mahin also mentions. I know that there is a lot of hurt and uh, it's very difficult for a lot of businesses, particularly in the hospitality and the restaurant sector, to think beyond the physicality of space. I think it's a very interesting comment. I think, you know, in some areas, it is really hard to um, to move away for that, from that proximity, from that physicality, as, as she said. But of course, I think we've seen many examples of businesses and many also small businesses during the pandemic trying to think of alternative ways of coping, maybe, you know, publishing the recipes online and, uh, you know, facilitating somehow the experience in a way. And that kind of, this is, I think, a follow-up I wanted to ask, because we see exactly this in the story, that the pandemic pushed Mahin's business to go online and reach new markets, and technology was central to this. Where do you see services trade going in, in the future? What can we expect? So, of course, COVID has had you know, a significant impact on, on services and on, on services trade. And I think it, one would expect it to probably have a longer term impact uh, as well as to some extent, as, as uh, Mahin's experience has shown, you know, suppliers have adapted or some suppliers have adapted and more and more of them have gone online. And at the same time, consumers have also adapted in their habits and uh, new ways of, of consuming um, services. So in terms of what the future may hold, I mean, it's, as I said, you know, obviously it's difficult to make predictions, particularly in these COVID times, which so, you know, have so much uncertainty. However, we also know that the cost of trading services has been falling over the years. And for instance, trade costs in services have fallen by 9% since 
between 2005 and 2017, driven essentially by the spread of digital technologies again and the lowering of, of trade barriers and some growth in investment in infrastructure. So I guess to some extent we can expect or at least hope that these costs will continue to fall and this will contribute to services trade um, continuing to grow. So Mahin's story was really a you know, very um, striking story of the power of technology, but also of the power of trade. Um, you know, technology sits at the very heart of our experience, I felt. Um, but technology has also brought about the realization that essentially when you know, proximity is no longer a requirement, when it is no longer a constraint, in a way, the world is your oyster, as they say. So Mahin was no longer burdened by the need to ensure physical proximity and was no longer bound by national borders and could explore new markets and expand her business um, overseas. And I think what is also extremely important is that it will be how available and how affordable these technologies are, and in particular broadband access both to suppliers and also to consumers in different locations across the world. And Mahin also mentions that her business, you know, has been a tool to empower women in her community. How are services and gender interlinked? Do you have any examples you can share with us? So particularly as a woman, I found Mahin's story of how she has empowered women in Pakistan very moving, but also very uplifting. You know, I think services sectors have increased women's participation in the workforce as they are typically more gender balanced than manufacturing or mining sectors. At the same time, it is true to, that we have to acknowledge that women tend to be relatively more employed in sectors that are maybe less traded internationally, such as education or health or um, social services, although, again, Mahin's story shows us how, you know, a sector like education can also be traded internationally. And it, it is also fair to say that uh, firms that are owned by women are less underrepresented in services than they are in the manufacturing sector. Essentially, producing services generally implies lower sort of startup and fixed costs. And unlike manufacturing, where maybe you, you know, require setting up a factory or buying machinery, this is usually not the case for the production of services. So this is likely to be particularly um, beneficial to women who maybe have lesser access to financing. So services may be expected to boost the participation of women, as well as, for instance, smaller businesses in international trade. And I think this brings me to, we talked about the power of trade and essentially our, our director general always says trade is about people. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this and how it relates to, to trade and services. Well, maybe I'm biased on this because, of course, I work in trade and services. But I think the centrality of people for, for trade is nowhere illustrated better than when it comes to services, really. Because services already account for the largest share of jobs in most economies uh, around the world. But of course, as you know, as the importance of services trade grows uh, and, in, and you know, more services are in the export mix of countries, services exports will support 
even greater employment numbers. And, you know, as we've just seen, because of the lower fixed cost of producing services, services trade, I think, can contribute to making growth generally more, more inclusive and even more about people, if you want. And then maybe just thinking out loud here, but maybe creativity is essential if you're in the services sector to remain relevant. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think it's probably true of every business, but I think in services, one characteristic of services is that they can be customized. You know, there's a lot more that can be done in order to adapt your offering to your client base. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very much, you know, putting sort of the human minds uh, to their best use. Thank you for listening. A big thank you to Marine Adamji for sharing her story and to Antonia Carzaniga for talking to us. To learn more about other stories of resilience, visit the WTO's public forum page. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast in your favorite platform and help spread the word. Also search our Let's Talk Trade video series on the WTO's website and social media platforms. In one of these videos, Antonia shows trade in services in practice using Playmobil. It's worth checking it out. Until next time.